Good morning, and I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll be reading and looking this morning at verses 1 through 7. 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll title this message, Christ-like submission in marriage. Christ-like submission in marriage. Reading the text, 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we do praise you and we do thank you for all of our blessings. We thank you for how good that you've been to us. We thank you for your kindness, your mercy, and how long-suffering that you are to us. We thank you for the ability to sing. We thank you for the heart to want to praise you. We thank you for these words that we have to sing that draw our heart out in, in affection toward you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit for being here this morning and moving in our midst and preparing our hearts to receive this word. Father, I pray that you will use this word this morning in how you see fit. Father, help us all to... Behold this wonderful truth in your word and try to pattern our lives after it. Father, we want to glorify you. We want to submit to you. We want to submit like Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that you will help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ-like submission in marriage. I just want to say, first of all, that I am not the model. In fact, I have many areas of weakness in my own marriage. And I'm standing up here preaching this message to myself. And so, as we look at this text, I certainly need this as much as anyone else. But I also want to say how thankful I am for a godly wife, for a faithful wife. And I'm thankful for all the marriages in this church that I believe are putting this text to practice from what I see in your lives. Doesn't mean you're doing it perfectly. It doesn't mean that we haven't seen ups and downs. But I see a heart for you to want to live this way in your marriages. And it's an example to me. It's an example to all of us here. And it's, it's an example to our community and to our, our, our family and to our friends of how we want to try to submit to what the Word of God teaches, how we should live in such a way, if God has called us to marriage, in such a way that will glorify Him by submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord like Christ shows us how to do in submitting to His Father. So what does Christ-like submission what does Christ-like submission look like in a marriage? How has God called you to submit to him in your marriage as a wife or as a husband? 
Because we are called to this. This is a command. This is a calling. And it's a great calling. It's a wonderful calling. It's a precious calling. It's a, it's a wonderful opportunity that God has given those that are called to this to glorify him in a way that exemplifies Christ and the church. So Peter answers these questions in our text today. Peter has been dealing with submission starting back in chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors. And he talked about how we are to submit to authority as we're submitting unto the Lord. And the way that we submit to authority is the way that we show our submission to God. So he talked first in a broad sense that we ought to submit to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Secondly, as we saw last time, he called servants to submit to their masters with all fear. Just as they are submitting to God. They are to submit to those who have rule and authority over them. And they have a great ability, also a great calling, to show the example of Jesus Christ who submitted to those authorities in his life, even in putting him to death. And it's, he would go on to say, as we ended last time, that all of us are called to follow in the footsteps of Christ. In submitting to authority, into submitting to government, into submitting to our bosses, into submitting to our parents. We're all called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. He is the example. He is the picture. He is the one that we're to follow. So if you're called to a life of singleness and to submit to God to that, Jesus Christ is your example. He was called to singleness, was perfectly holy, submitted his life to his father, and he lived a perfect life, and, and, and he is your example. If you've been called to marriage, he is the example of how a husband is to be. He's an example of how a wife is to be. If you've been called to work for a boss, he's your example of how you're to submit to your boss. If you are a boss, he's your example of how to be a boss to your employees. Jesus Christ is the example, and it says that we are called to follow in his footsteps as he submitted and as he suffered for doing what was right. So we too are to be willing to submit and willing to suffer as he has. And so now, Peter goes on to address husbands and wives in that marriage relationship. Both the wife and the husband are called to submit to Christ in their marriage. Both, husband and wife, are called to submit to Christ in their marriage. As I already said, husbands and wives have a wonderful calling to display the relationship between Christ and the church. The wife is called to submit to her husband in respect, like the church is called to submit to Christ as head of the church in our respect for him. The husband is called to honor and love his wife as Jesus honors and loves the church, his bride. And so our proposition this morning as we look at this text is that you will glorify God in your marriage when you submit to God with Christ-like submission. You will glorify God in your marriage when you submit to God with Christ-like submission. How can I be a better husband? How can I be a better wife? How can we be better spouses? By being more like Jesus Christ. By submitting to our Father the way that He submitted to Him. First, we'll look at how does a wife submit to God in a marriage. And then secondly, how does the husband submit to God in a marriage? Number one, how does a wife submit to God in the marriage? And we see this, as, see this in verses 1 through 6, which I want to read again. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word... They also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of, of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price." 
For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do will, and are not afraid with any amazement. So how does a wife submit to God in the marriage? Number one, by living a holy life. Number two, by adorning herself with a meek and quiet spirit. And number three, by showing respect through obedience to her husband. So number one, a wife submits to God in the marriage by living a holy life before her husband, before her children, if she's blessed with children, before the church and before the world. By living a holy life. He says, likewise, just as we've been talking about how you should submit to every ordinance of man, just like we've been saying how servants should submit to their masters, just how you have been called all to follow in the footsteps of Christ. He says, likewise, ye wives, be in subjection, there's the submitting, to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. So what's interesting about this text versus maybe Ephesians chapter 5, which we'll look at, is that Peter is specifically writing to wives who are married to unbelieving husbands. While these things apply to believing spouses, those that are both believing, here he is addressing specifically those wives that have been called to faith in Christ and have submitted their lives to him, but yet they have an unbelieving husband. And what he's encouraging them with and what he's challenging them with is that maybe Christ hasn't yet saved your husband, but maybe he's going to. And he says, this is the example that you're to have. This is how you can show your unbelieving husband how you have submitted to God and what this Christ-like submission looks like through your marriage. And that's difficult, isn't it? That is hard if anyone has been called to that, where you have a believing spouse and an unbelieving spouse. Either way, whether it's the husband or the wife, that is a difficult Relationship that is a difficult thing to do. And it was difficult as they were receiving this word that they had an unbelieving husband who, who maybe was serving a false god or, or, or who, just, who just wasn't a good husband. And here Peter is saying, this is how you need to exemplify Christ to your unbelieving husband. You need to live a holy life before him. You need to be pure. You need to be modest. And I love what he keeps saying. He keeps saying, the husband might be won by this. You might win your husband to Christ. You might show him what Christ looks like by the way that you're living, by the way that you're talking, by showing respect to him. So certainly if this applies to a wife who has an unbelieving husband, it, should, it applies all the more to a wife who has a believing husband. And so this is how a wife does Submit to God in the marriage by living a holy life. That if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Conversation means their behavior. It means their manner of life, their conduct. So as a husband looks at his wife and he sees her behavior, he sees her conduct, he sees the way that she live, she's living, may it be chaste. It says in verse 2, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear the word chaste means pure clean modest innocent so as a husband looks at his wife how does he see that she behaves what is her conduct what is her way of life her manner of life is it pure is it clean is it modest modest in the way that she dresses modest in in the way that she talks Clean in the way that she converses with other people? I would think certainly if a man was an unbelieving husband and he had a believing wife and he saw the way that she kept herself pure and the way that she dressed and kept herself pure in the way that she talked and the, the way that she talked to others about her husband, I'm sure that that would have a great influence upon him, a great impact on him. And no doubt it, it did and has throughout the centuries. And so it's so important 
for both husbands and wives to keep themselves pure, to keep themselves modest, to keep themselves innocent in the marriage before the Lord. Philippians chapter 1 verse 27 says to all of us, Only let your conversation be as it becomes the gospel of Christ. So what do others see in you? What do others see in you when they look at you? The way that you work, the way that you talk, the way that you parent. Only let your conversation, your manner, your conduct be as it becomes the gospel of Christ, that it would point others to Jesus Christ, that it would show him what Christ has done in your life. Is your life an example of what Jesus Christ has done for you? Is it, is it declaring, is it publishing to others the good news of Jesus Christ? And a wife, when she submits to her husband, and when she keeps herself pure and modest, she is declaring the good news of Jesus Christ. And that she is ultimately married to him. And she is keeping herself pure before him. She is living a holy life. And she is also doing this to her husband. And later on in Philippians, in chapter 4, he also encourages us with this. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men, for the Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. This is to be true of wives. This is to be true of husbands. This is to be true of those that are single. This is to be true of those that are children. Whatever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely and, and, and are just, these are the things that we should be thinking upon. This is the way that we should be acting. This is all of our calling. As Peter said in chapter 1 and how we looked at this, as strangers and pilgrims here in this life, this is how we're to live. And it's certainly how God has called a wife to live with her husband. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. In every way of life. In every area of life. There's no sphere of life in which we shouldn't be dedicated, set apart, and sanctified as holy unto the Lord. And we all struggle with this because we struggle with sin. We struggle with our flesh. And so we're tempted not to be holy. We're tempted to be unholy. But our calling is to be holy, be transformed by the holy. Because as he which is, which is called you is holy... So be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. You want to be like God. You want to be like God. You want to act like Him. You want to talk like Him. And a wife and a husband that acts and talks like God in a holy way, that is a great example. That is a great example, and it can win the heart of your husband. This is the example of Jesus Christ. This is the example of Jesus Christ who lives a holy life. He never sinned. As Peter said that there was no sin in him, no guile in his mouth. Even when he was treated harshly, even when he was ridiculed, even when he was persecuted without cause, even though when he was beaten for the faults of others, yet he opened not his mouth. He didn't retaliate. How difficult is it, wives, 
to respond in a holy way to a husband when a husband acts unholy. When a husband says things that he shouldn't say. When a, a husband doesn't do things that he should do. How do you respond? How do you act in turn? The calling, the example, the goal is that you respond like Christ does. With compassion, with grace, long-suffering, forgiving. This is the same way that a husband should be as well. Jesus Christ is your example. So how are we doing with this, wives? How are we doing in living a holy life, having a chaste conversation? How is this seen in your life? When you examine your life and you examine your walk and you examine your marriage, how is this holy life seen in the way that you're living before your husband, living before your family, living before your children, living before your church community. May your husband be won by your holy conversation. Number two, a wife submits to God in marriage by adorning herself with a meek and quiet spirit. So not only should they have a chaste conversation that's coupled with fear, with respect and reverence, but also it says, first of all, the negative, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of the hair and of the wearing of gold or of the putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. So this adorning is talking about an arrangement, how, how you're arranged, how you're decorated. It's the, it's the word cosmos from which we get world. The world is arranged. God arranged the world in such a way. He's decorated it in such a way. He's fashioned it in such a way that's beautiful, that, that glorifies him, that speaks of his greatness. And it says of a wife that her adorning, her arrangement, her decoration should be a meek and quiet spirit, a humble and peaceable spirit. But he says, first of all, it's not to be outward. It's not just to be that you're concerned with the outward appearance, how you fix your hair, what clothes you wear, the makeup that you put on. Let me tell you, I like all those things as a man. I, I, I like a woman to have her hair fixed. I like for her to have makeup on. I like for her to... Wear nice clothes. I like all those things. I'm attracted to those things. Just being honest. And, and I think that a wife should seek to, to please her husband in that way. But that's not the focus, right? And so we live in a day, we live in a time in which that has become the focus. That has become everything. Right? Image has become everything. And so much focus is put on how you look and how you dress. And young women are raised up thinking that, that this is what men want, that this is only what men want, and this is only what is going to make them acceptable or make men love them. And that is not true. That is false. You should take care of your body. You should try to look the best that you can. But what a man really needs and what a husband really needs and what Peter is saying through the Holy Spirit that a man really needs is he, he needs a woman who's beautiful inside and out. Even if you aren't beautiful outside. Even if you have flaws. Even if your body changes over the years. Your heart is still beautiful. Your heart is still pure. And that goes the same for a man as well. But we want to be adorned. We want to decorate ourselves. Not on everything on the outside and then have an ugly heart. Because that makes a beautiful person unattractive, doesn't it? And God doesn't look on the outward appearance. God is not the same as man. God looks at the heart. And he, what he's wanting from a husband and a wife is he's wanting them to submit their heart to one another in their heart to him. So it is inward beauty. It is a beautiful heart. As it says in the text, an uncorrupted 
heart. There's nothing more beautiful in all the world than a woman who has an uncorrupted heart. Who's pure and holy before the Lord. Who's chaste before the Lord. Who loves the Lord with all her heart, soul, strength, and mind. Who willingly submits to an ungodly man. There's nothing more beautiful in all the world than that. And it's the greatest picture that we have of Christ in the church. And so what a great calling, what a holy calling that you have. What an opportunity that you have. Outward beauty will fade and does fade. But inward beauty does not. Proverbs 31 speaks of a godly woman. A godly woman and what we should be teaching our young women to be like. And what I believe that the women here in this church exemplify are the virtues and the characteristics that we find in Proverbs chapter 31. And I'll just go down to the end for time's sake, but I love the things that it says about her. Verse 25, strength and honor are her clothing. So it doesn't matter what's on the outside. The, the clothing is wonderful. The, the way they fix the hair is, is wonderful. But what's truly is that they're clothed with strength and honor. And she shall rejoice in time to come. She opened her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. This meek and quiet spirit that he's talking about, that's what we want to have. This tongue that when it speaks, it's speaking kindness. It's speaking grace. That's really hard to do when you've got, again, someone who doesn't deserve those kind words. Maybe someone who deserves harsh words. Maybe somebody speaking harshly to you. But she opens her mouth with wisdom. And in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looks well to the ways of her household and eats not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but you excel Excellest them all. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. If there is anything that we could tell the young women of our generation, it's that favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. What God desires from you as you prepare yourself to if, if God calls you to this marriage, is that you will be this kind of woman. One that has inward beauty. One that is virtuous inside and out. One who realizes that favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. But one that fears the Lord above all. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. So it is the outward, outward beauty fades, but inward beauty remains. Paul would say this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 9. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. So it does matter how you dress on the outside. And how you dress on the outside often reflects what is on the inside. And so as you should adorn yourself on the inside with a meek and quiet spirit, what that should lead to on the outside is modest apparel. With shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becomes women professing godliness. With good works. That which professes godliness with good works. That is what will honor God in your marriage. Women who live a holy life. And women who adorn themselves with a meek and quiet spirit. As we said meek means humble. 
And what do we know about Jesus Christ? He said, I am meek and lowly. I am humble and I am gentle. I tell you what, wives, your husbands need this. They need you. They need you to be humble. They need you to be gentle. You know, we often think of the wife as the fragile one. But I'm telling you what, husbands are just as fragile. Just as fragile. Just as weak. We need a, we need a wife that's humble. So that when we're filled with pride, she can help us to be humble. We need a wife that's gentle so that when we're broken, she can help put us back together. A meek, a humble spirit, a quiet, that means a peaceable spirit. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And so we're seeking not to have strife in our marriage. We're seeking to be those that are humble, willing to admit our own faults, willing to admit our own failings, and also peaceable, easy to be entreated so that we help actually bear one another's burdens. This is one of the greatest things about marriage is that you have a partner, that you have someone who stands beside you, one that can help you along life's journey. Now, we all have that in Christ, but it's also good to have someone in the flesh who knows everything about you, who knows all your good points and all your weak points, and says that I love you through it all. A meek and quiet spirit. What does it say about this? What does it say about this inner beauty, this holy life, this meek and quiet, quiet spirit? What does it say about it? It's of great price to God. It's of great value. It's more precious than all the gold in the world. It's more precious than all the stones, beautiful stones in the world. It's more precious than this beautiful creation that we see. The beautiful heart is precious in the sight of your God. So do you want to submit to God in your marriage? Do you want to honor, honor Him in your marriage as a wife? Be like Christ in the way that you submit to him by living a holy life by adorning yourself with a meek and quiet spirit and thirdly by showing respect through obedience to your husband this is hard this is difficult We know that there have been many men who have abused this. And that is sinful. That is wrong. That is a horrible picture of Jesus Christ. But a wife has an, oppor an opportunity to show the grace of God, to show the grace of Christ. By showing respect through obedience to her husband, even though he's flawed, even though he's not perfect, yet if he's trying to lead, if he's trying to love as he's called to love, then first you trust God and obey him. Maybe your husband isn't like what you want him to be. Maybe he's different than what you thought he was or what he was going to be. But trust God that he has ordained it such that you be married to this man. Be like Sarah who trusted God. Abraham was far from perfect. Abraham lied about Sarah. Abraham was going to allow the Egyptians just to take Sarah and call, he called her, her his sister because he was afraid. He was scared and just to say, you're, just say you're my sister and so they won't kill me. Abraham was a flawed man. He was a weak man. But yet Sarah trusted God that this man is whom God ordained her husband to be. And so she submitted herself to him in obedience and respect. So first, you trust God and obey him. Second, you respect your husband and obey him as long as he's not causing you to disobey the Lord. And then I think thirdly, what we see in this text is he says you'll do this you'll, as long as you do well 
And then he says this. And are not afraid with any amazement. Don't let fear control you. Well, that, that has to be difficult at times for a wife. Especially when a man is acting ungodly. But trust God. Fear him. Do your best to respect and obey your husband. Bring yourself under submission to him. And don't let fear control you. And he says you have godly examples of women in the Old Testament. Right? He mentioned Sarah. But think about Esther. Go into the New Testament. Think about Mary and Elizabeth. So many godly examples that we have in the Old Testament and New Testament that you can gain strength from, encouragement from. You also have women throughout the history of the church and even here in your own church that are great examples of those that have remained faithful through years and years of dedicated service. So if you're struggling with these things, seek out help, seek out advice. Look to these examples as Peter encourages here. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord. Whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well. Ephesians chapter 5 we know is a great passage that talks about marriage and the responsibilities and the privileges of a husband and wife. And here it says of the wives, Wives, submit to yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. So again, oftentimes you have to look through that individual. You have to look past that individual. And you have to remember you're submitting as unto the Lord. For, he, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be unto their own husbands in everything. Again, not easy. Again, very difficult at times. I'm sure up and down. But the calling is the same. And he ends it in verse 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. Jesus, again, was the perfect example of this toward his father. He submitted to his father's will. He's co-equal with the father, but he submitted himself to the father's will to take upon himself flesh, to suffer and die for sinners, all because he loved the father and was willing to submit, and because he loved you and was willing to submit to the father for you. Jesus Christ was, is of no less value than the Father. He's of equal value. But yet because it pleased him, because it pleased his Father and because it pleased Christ, he submitted himself under his Father and showed how much he reverenced him. So wise, how are you doing with these things? By living a holy life, by adorning yourself with a meek and quiet spirit, and by respecting your husband through obedience as unto the Lord. May God help our wives. May God help them. Because they're married to sinners. But Christ is the example. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. He is your example of how to submit to God in your marriage. Secondly... How does a husband submit to God in the marriage? How does a husband submit to God in the marriage? So back to our text, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, dwell with your wife according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs to together, of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. 
you also, husbands, are called to submit to God through Christ-like submission. And how does the Holy Spirit, written through Peter, encourage you to do this? How can you do this? How is this seen in, in your marriage? Number one, he says, know your wife. Dwell with them according to knowledge. To dwell with means to reside together. We are, as a husband and wife, living together. We are residing together. We eat together, sleep together, so on and so forth, right? We are dwelling together. Two have become one, right? Have joined themselves together. Oftentimes when you're not with your other spouse, someone will ask you, where's your better half? (laughs) Where's your better half? You're literally one person. You're half and she's the other half. Or she's half and you're the other half. Dwell with them according to knowledge. Our wife needs us to know her. This is the way that God ordained it in the beginning, right? When he created Eve, when he created Adam and Eve. He said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. And the man shall cleave unto his wife. I think this is what it means to know. And men struggle with this. We struggle with this greatly. We aren't the best at communication. We aren't the best at studying. We aren't the best at knowing our wife. But we've actually been called to this, and we've got to step up and do a better job. We've got to know them intimately. We've got to know them physically and emotionally and spiritually. In fact, this is what Solomon would say that we should do in Proverbs chapter 5. We shouldn't be entangled with the immoral woman. Because one of the reasons is is because it draws our affection away. It draws our knowing our wife away from us. And we can't be dedicated to her in this way. So he says in Proverbs chapter 5 verse 15. Drink waters out of thine own cistern and running waters out of thine own well. He says dwell with them according to knowledge. Dwell with your wife. You don't need to know anyone else. You need to know your wife. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad and rivers of waters in the streets. Let them be only thine own and not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee all the time. And be thou ravished always with her love. I want that to be true of me. It hasn't always been true. But I want it to be true. I want to know my wife. I want to be ravished with her love. Because a wife needs this. And this also is a great encouragement and a great example, men, of how we can be like Jesus. Because Jesus knows his bride. He loves his bride. And part of knowing, as we know in the scripture, means to love. It means to know intimately. Oftentimes a husband is just acquainted with his wife. Sometimes we are like strangers passing through in the night. But we've been called to something deeper than this because Jesus doesn't, isn't just acquainted with you. He isn't just a stranger that sometimes shows up in your life. He's with you right there every day. He knows everything that you're going through. He's always there to talk. He's always there to listen. He's always there to bear your burdens. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep. I know them. I know everything about them. And I care for them and I love them and I protect them and I provide for them and I nourish them. 
And that is what God has called us as husbands to be. To be shepherds in the home. Shepherds of our wife. Shepherd of our children. And of our family. And that means more than just being a provider. It means being a protector. It means being a priest. Knowing the sheep like Jesus knows his sheep. And it says in return that his sheep know him. So the return of us knowing our why, living, dwelling together with them in knowledge, is that they will also know us. They will also love us in return. So husbands, how are you doing with dwelling together with your wife in knowledge? Be like Christ in this way, that you will know them and they will know you. Second of all says that we should honor the wife. That we should honor the wife. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Honor means value, esteem, and dignity. Well, that just threw out most of the husbands in the world today. Because they don't value the wife. They don't esteem the wife. You know, they like the submission part for the wife to the husband. But they certainly don't like the honor part about the husband to the wife. The esteeming, the dignity. Because the wife is just as equally precious and valuable as the husband. She is just as important in the marriage as the husband. And we see this in the Trinity. We see this in the Godhead that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are all co-equal. They're all co-valuable. They're all co-precious. And they all treat each other with this dignity and this honor. Because the Father says from heaven, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus says, I love the Father. The Father loves me. And the Spirit testifies of the beauty of Christ. He doesn't point to himself. He points to God the Father. He points to God the Son. And so there is honor between them. There is esteem between them and dignity between them. This is really what it means to love your wife. It means that you honor her and respect her and you treat her with dignity. She is not your slave. She is not a trophy. It is not her job to do this and to do that. As he goes on to say, you're co-heirs of the grace of life. Treat her as a beloved child of God. She is his daughter. God is her father. As he is your father. Honor the wife. As unto the weaker vessel. She may be weaker physically. Not always the case. But she is not weaker spiritually. She is not weaker in value and in dignity. She is to be honored. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 19, the encouragement to us as husbands is, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. So we we have to love our wife, which means, again, to honor, to respect, to reverence and esteem, and not to be bitter against them when they don't always do this. And then, again, in Ephesians chapter 5, in the passage we were just at a little while ago, this is the challenge to us as men. This is the challenge to us as husbands, and I pray that I can take up this mantle. I pray that you, husbands here today, can take up this mantle 
The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. We're to sacrifice ourselves. We're to sacrifice our time. We're to sacrifice our desires. We're to sacrifice our lives for our wife. Love your wife even as Christ loves the church unconditionally. Unconditionally. It says that Christ loved us even while we were yet sinners. Even while we were his enemies. So our calling as a husband is not just to love our wife when she's lovable, when she's lovely, when she's pleasing us, when she's doing everything right that we want her to do. We're to love her just the same, honestly, whether she is obeying or not. Whether she is submitting or not. Whether she is doing everything that we've asked or not. We are to love her as Christ has loved the church. He's laid down his life for her. He's given himself for her. He's willing to do anything for her. He knows her. He esteems her. He honors her. Husbands, how are you doing with this with your wife? How is this being seen in your life? By the way you talk about your wife? By the way that you help your wife? God help us. God help us as men. We're weak. We are so weak and we fail. But our example is Jesus Christ. Our example is him. And then thirdly and lastly, not only are we to know our wife, not only are we to honor her, but we're to treat her as an equal. Treat her as an equal. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Heirs together means co-heirs, joint heirs. As we said already, your wife is just as valuable as you are. The blood of Christ has cleansed her sins just as he has cleansed your sins. As you're a son of God, she's a daughter of God. A husband and wife are equal in their position before Christ. In salvation. There is no difference. There is not female. There is not male. There is not Greek. There is not Jew. All are one and the same in Christ. Co-equal and co-valuable. Now, God has ordained different roles in a marriage. And we submit to those roles. Because we want to honor God. But this in no way means that one is more valuable than the other. We must be treating one another as equally valuable and as equally precious, as co-heirs of the grace of life. So a wife is not there to serve you. You are there to serve your wife. Because certainly we know as the church, we want to serve Jesus Christ. And what does Jesus Christ do for us? He serves us. It's amazing. We're astounded by that. But yet we struggle big time with this. But we, Ephesians 3 verse 6 says, We're all fellow heirs and partakers of his promise in Christ according to the gospel. And then that beautiful passage in Romans 8, in verse 16 and 17, talks about how because what Christ has done through his sacrifice and what the Holy Spirit has done in regenerating us, that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. 
The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. A husband and wife are both joint heirs together with Christ. Everything that God has promised, he has promised to both. And that's exciting. We're on the same journey. We have the same end. We are there to help one another along this journey. To help one another fight the good fight of faith until the end, to cross the finish line. If by God's grace together. And then he ends by saying that your prayers be not hindered. You know, if a husband is not loving his wife, if a husband is not treating his wife with honor, and if if a wife is... If a husband is degrading to his wife, how is God going to listen to his prayer? And certainly, if if husband and wife aren't treating each other the way that Peter's talking about here, certainly they're not going to be praying together. And so we we get in these ruts. May God help us to get out of those because they're not healthy and they're not submitting to God in our marriage and they're not submitting like Christ. So husbands, how are you doing with treating her as your equal? How are you doing with honoring your wife? How are you doing with these things? So in conclusion, we said at the beginning that we will glorify God in our marriage when we submit to God with Christ-like submission. This is seen in the wife by her living a holy life by her adorning, her adorning herself with a meek and quiet spirit, by her showing respect through obedience to her husband. This is seen in the husband by us knowing our wife, by us honoring our wife, and by us treating our wife as equal. And if we were to wrap those two things up together, as he says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 33, that it is the wife that respects her husband and the, wife that, and the husband that loves his wife. We both need loving, we both need respecting. But as God has designed us, a husband longs for respect and a wife longs for love. And so we need to understand that and we need to be faithful to that calling. But what is the bigger picture? We've been talking about through the whole thing. Okay, This is more than just a marriage. This is more than just a man and a woman. This is more than just a, a husband and wife relationship. This is the relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the relationship between Christ and the church. This is why marriage is so precious, so valuable, and so important. And why it's such a disgrace and such a dishonor what we've seen going on. How people are just getting divorced left and right. Even when things are going hard. Even when things aren't going like what we planned. Even when we're in a valley, we need to stick through. We need to stay faithful. Because... There is a greater picture in which we are giving, and that is the picture of Christ and the church. So you, ask, you might ask the question, well, what about my marriage? What about a struggling marriage? What about, what about a marriage where these things aren't going on? What about failed marriages? Well, there's hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ that can take a bad marriage and make it good. In fact, studies show that those who have gone through rough patches in their marriage and who have stuck through it actually end up having a better marriage than those who are consistent throughout. Not saying you should strive for a bad marriage in any way. But it's just saying that if you stick it out, there is hope at the end, there is joy at the end. God can restore years that have been taken away. We can redeem the time because the days are evil. So there's hope for you if you've had a struggling marriage that God can restore it if you're willing to submit your life and your heart to these things that he's talking about in his word. There's forgiveness for failed marriages. There is. We're sinners and God knows that. He has prescribed a certain way for us to do it and when we haven't done it, it gets broken But there is forgiveness with God. He knows that. And there's healing. 
in those circumstances at the foot of the cross. That's the gospel message. So I don't know what camp that all of us here are in. I, I know what camp I'm in. I know what camp most of you are in. But what we're seeking to do as what we've been called here in this text is walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. That we would submit as he has submitted. That we would be willing to suffer through it as he had to suffer through it. And that what we pray is that we're going to glorify God in our marriage. So if we need some repentance, God give us repentance. If you're being faithful, continue to be faithful. The glory of God is at stake. The representing of the gospel the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ in that relationship is at stake. So may God help us to submit to him in Christ-like submission.